Thank you, Father, for the opportunity one more time to stand in this sacred place and deliver your word. I ask you for something of which I'm not worthy. I ask you to anoint these lips of clay that we can speak gospel truth today. There are hearers of the word that you tell us, O Lord, in your, your word that we be faithful hearers and we be doers of the word of God. Help us with spirit ears hear what the Spirit has to say to the church today. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. 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 There is a word that is in the New Testament that is only found one time in the entire New Testament. It is found in Romans 5 and 11, and the Apostle Paul said this, these words about reconciliation. He said, whereby we have now received the atonement. Atonement there comes from a, a word, Greek word, which means a reconciliation. And most Bible expositors agree that it could be better translated, whereby we have now received the reconciliation. That's uh, simply saying that God has reconciled the world unto himself. Now, reconciliation is a great word. It's a great word. It simply means you take two forces, uh, two essence, which at one time were apart, and now they have been joined together. That two that had no relationship now have relationship. That two who were enemies no longer fight. And that's exactly what happens when a person becomes a child of God, a new creation, as we call it in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things passed away, all things become new. There is, in this world, so many wars that are going on right now where there is no peace. The most prominent one is what you're seeing on your television screens about Russia's invasion of uh, the Ukraine. That's a very, very scary situation. I don't think that people understand the uh, perilous nature of what's going on there in the Ukraine. We have a hundred churches of God in the Ukraine. Isn't that something? And got several hundred, over 400 in Russia. And they are wonderful brothers and sisters and wonderful people of God. People that love the Lord, people that just like you have a Pentecostal experience and they, they come together to worship just like you do. Amen. But today they're, they're countries and those Blessed Christian people, those churches, many of them have been destroyed. Many pastors are without a building to meet in today in the Ukraine. There is a, a terrible situation that's going on there. And a, a maniacal kind of a, a person, a despot, is uh, doing tremendous injury uh, to world peace. And the Bible tells us that righteousness exalteth a nation. Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach unto any people. There is no peace where sin abounds. Where sin is, there is all kinds of evil work, the Bible said. There's contention and there's all kind of strife and hostility. But where the peace of God is, there is liberty. Where the peace of God is, there's freedom. Where the peace of God is, there's new life in Christ. Where the peace of God is, there's a future worth living and a Bible worth 
believing and a Savior worth serving. Amen. And I'm thankful that the peace of God is available to people who are in search of peace. And I want to tell you that God is a God of peace. And the very God of peace sanctify you. Boy, those are some great words. Great words. The God of peace sanctify you. In other words, there's a purging and a cleansing. A de dying out to the things of this life and the things of this world. And we are uh, citizens of a, a, another country. Our citizenship, Paul said, is in heaven from whence we look for the Lord of glory. Here's this verse from the lips of Jesus in Matthew 24. Ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled. Lord, how in the world can I not be troubled when I'm, our pastor is telling us about brothers and sisters in, in the Lord that are persecuted and being killed and buildings being blown to pieces. How can we not be troubled? Ye shall hear of wars, rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled. For all of these things must come to pass, but the Lord is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdoms. One of the indications to every one of us that we're living in the latter times, the last days of the last days. And all of these things are shaping up all around us. We know that in the futuristic uh, sense that there will come a time when Russia will invade the Middle East. And for years we had thought that they would come to the Middle East uh, for the oil that they would get there. That there, I understand some of their tanks that were in the uh, column ran out of gas. I thought Debbie was the only one that brings cars home on empty. That woman hates to pump gas. When I get in her car to go somewhere, the first stop you better make is the gas station before you go anywhere. Evidently, somebody was kind of stupid or crazy to not put enough fuel in a tank to get it to the Ukraine. Wow, that's kind of stupid. But the Bible tells us that in these last days that we're living in, there would be wars and rumors of wars. But he said, don't be troubled because when you see these things happening around you, lift up your head and rejoice because your redemption, your reconciliation, your peace with God draweth nigh. Hallelujah. So there is in this, all of this trouble, there's a light that shines through that says this is not forever. God is in charge. God is in charge. And faithful people are being faithful. And, and faithful pastors are preaching the word right on in spite of the difficulty. I wonder sometimes if America had to go through some of the things that these third world countries go through to name the name of Christ. There are places in the world where people are being killed now for being Christian and being persecuted for being Christian. And the Bible tells us that in those last days when they deliver you up and bring you before magistrates, he said, don't worry about what you will say because the Holy Spirit will tell you what to say. You mean there's going to come a time when you're going to have to stand maybe before uh, magistrates and, and judges and uh, 
give account for why you believe in Jesus? Why you preach the Word of God? Right now, you can be actually taken to court for saying remarks about certain people's behavior. pastor friend of mine was fined $5,000 in court for making statements about people that were outside God's peace and outside God's pavilion. Their lifestyle was not compatible with the Word of God. And he called what they did sin. When you call sin, sin, you might get arrested for it in this culture. When you call sin an abomination, then you better watch out. You're going to draw some fire. Boy, you're looking good this morning, and you're really giving me the old eyeball. Because what I'm saying is, when these things happen, don't be troubled, Jesus said. When all around you there are things happening that tr should trouble you, but he says, don't be troubled don't be upset by these things. They must happen and they must come to pass to usher in what God has in the future. You know, when in Mark chapter 9, when the uh, disciples went up on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus and they had that glorious experience where Jesus was transfigured in their midst. And his raiment was shining as bright as the noonday sun. And right there before their eyes, he was transfigured into his glorified state right in their presence. Peter had a great idea. He said, Lord Jesus, why don't we build three tabernacles here? One for Elijah, one for Moses, and one for you. And Jesus kind of rebuked him, and he said, this is not a permanent thing, and we're not going to build a shrine for somebody to come up here to try to meet with God. And, and the Bible said that he came down from the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus was saying by Moses appearing that there is redemption that is implied in this peace with God that we have, in this reconciliation state with God, this peace with God, that there is the lawgiver, Moses, is present to represent the standard, a code, a decalogue as it is called, a Torah, laws by which we live. You see, Love does not allow people to just live any way they want to. And you're not doing people a favor by sugarcoating sin and what God expects and what God wants to happen in your life. We need to preach about the things that pertain to godliness and righteousness because our God is a holy God and He expects us to live holy. So Moses was on the mount representing the standard of living for God's people. But then there was another person that was on the mount. His name was Elijah. His name was Elijah. And what was it about Elijah that was so important that he appeared on the mount of transfiguration? He represents power with God. 
He represents an overcomer. He represents when you take a stand for God, God will stand by you. He represents the, the identity that you can be in the battle and you can fight in the battle and take a stand for God and God will stand by you. You remember on Mount Carmel when he accepted a challenge. All the prophets of Baal and the prophets of the grove said, let's have a contest and let's see who God is. The God that answers by fire, he will be God. And Elijah said, I accept that challenge. 400 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of the groves, all of Jezebel's clan, all of those people that would believe that if they could do certain things, they could win favor with their God, Baal, the sun God. And so the Bible said they began their ritual. And they began their dance. And they began all of the things that they do to please their prophet or their, their God, Baal. And the prophet of God, Elijah, stood and watched. The Bible said they eventually took stones and cut themselves and cried out to Baal. It's kind of humorous. Sometimes God's greatest people have a great sense of humor. Elijah said this. He said, why don't y'all cry a little louder? Maybe your God is asleep. Or maybe your God has taken a journey. Why don't you holler louder? Why don't you do more to try to get his attention? But the Bible said after that they had tried and failed, they tossed the ball to Elijah. Now let's see what your God can do. And Elijah looked at the sacrifice that they had prepared there on the, on the wood and on the altar, and he put those bullocks on there. And the Bible said he looked at it and he said, Boys, that thing is too dry to burn. It needs some water. Could somebody go get three barrels of water and pour on this sacrifice? It may not burn so dry as it is. Well, that sounds pretty bold, Brother Irwin. Hey, God wants you to be bold. God doesn't want you to be backed into a corner somewhere. God wants you to be bold. Stand out on the front line and say, I believe God. When the ship looks like it's going down and the storm is, is raging and the waves are lapping over in the boat and everybody said, we're going to die. Hey, have enough bold. Stand up and say, I believe God. An angel stood by my bedside, told me not a one of us would be lost, and I believe God. I will not be troubled by all of this that's going on. I believe God. Elijah said, pour some water on that thing. And the Bible said they poured water on it and even dug a ditch all around it because he said, go get three more barrels. It's not wet enough yet. They finally poured three more on and, and he prayed a 63-word prayer. And the Bible said, and then the fire of the Lord fell. 
and consumed the sacrifice and lapped up the water in the ditch. So Elijah's presence on the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses is the lawgiver, but Elijah represents the power with God. I want to tell you it's important that we have power with God. Now, when they came down off of the mountain, have you ever come off the mountain? What did you find? A valley. And I understand that for every mountain, there's two valleys. One on this side, one on the other side. When they came down off the mountain, they found out there was a discussion going on. And they found out when they got down there, about the 14th verse of Mark 9, the Bible said that they were disputing. The scribes were questioning the disciples. And they had a problem. The problem was there was a little boy there, and he had a deaf and dumb spirit in him. And they had tried so earnestly and sincerely. Listen to these words. But they could not. But they could not. Didn't have enough power in their prayer to make a difference. And the Bible said, and Jesus said, oh, faithless generation, how long are you going to have me? And then the Bible said, and Jesus looked at that little boy and said, oh, thou foul spirit, come out of him. And immediately the Bible said, and that spirit tore him and then departed and left him. Disciples said, why couldn't we do that? And Jesus said, there's a certain kind, this kind, cometh not forth but by prayer and by fasting. I wonder if God were to look at us today and, and our best offer would be we could not. They could not. Oh God, there's a Elijah on that mountain, right living is one thing, power with God is another. And they go together. They go together. In other words, for Jesus to be glorified and for Jesus to be exalted, those elements must come together. There must be peace. First Thessalonians 5, 1 through 4, but the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in the darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. Thank you, Lord. Praise God if the light of great God's grace has shined upon your heart. If that sun and that beam that shined down upon Paul on that road to Damascus, if that light has shined upon you and illuminated your heart and drove the darkness out of your heart and the darkness out of your life, then you're no more the children of the dark. You're the children of the day. You're the children of the light. Praise God.
John 16 and 33, these things have I spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. Peace is not a thing. Peace is a person. And Jesus is that person. Jesus is the peace that passes all understanding. Jesus is the peace that gives joy unspeakable and full of glory. Jesus is that, that peace that brings our troubles to rest and the calm comes to our heart when Jesus speaks peace to us. He can speak a peace to you in the midst of your storm. He can speak a peace to you when things are falling apart, when it seems like you're under attack, when you're fighting the battle with all your might and you wonder if I'm going to make it another day. Am I going to live to fight another battle? Suddenly Jesus says, yes, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Greater is the child of God than any persecution that will come against him. Greater is the child of God and the peace that is provided for the child of God. Greater is that peace than any weapon of... The Satan's warfare. Jesus said, I spoke these things that you might have peace. In this world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. Yes, there's going to be times when it's tough. Yes, there are going to be some times when you walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, there's going to be some times when you can't get what you need to get. There's going to be some times when you suffer some things and you go through some things and you scratch your head and wonder why. Well, I want to tell you, here's why. There's a God in heaven and you're still on this earth. And as long as you're on this earth, you'll be going through tribulation. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Well, somebody praise the Lord for just a minute. Jesus said, the reason I preach to you guys is so you'll have peace. The reason I teach you guys on the Sermon on the Mount, it's all about having peace with God. Peace with God. Peace means we're reconciled. Colossians 1 and 21. And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. Now we're talking about when we were lost, before we had peace, before we found Christ. We were alienated. Alien, that, that means estranged. That means no fellowship, no communion. That means no bonding together. That means standing off somewhere in the dark, lost and without Christ. If when we were alienated, listen to this, and enemies. Enemies? Well, Brother Erwin, I wasn't fighting God. Well, let me tell you how Jesus looks at this thing. If you're not for me, you're against me. You've either got me or you don't have me. You can't sit on the fence. You can't straddle the line. You either are or you aren't. And if you aren't, then he says, then you're an enemy, an enemy of Christ. 
an enemy of the church, an enemy of salvation. If when you were alienated, sometimes you were alienated and enemies, where did you calculate? How did you get that? In your mind. Alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. Yet now, somebody say now. Yet now he hath reconciled. Where you used to be is not where you are now. Where you used to stand is no longer where you stand. How you used to feel is no longer how you feel. How you used to talk, you don't talk anymore. How you used to walk, you don't walk anymore. You're a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things are passed away and all things are become new. And you who were busy in wicked works and in your mind, you had no respect and reverence for God, yet now he hath reconciled. Where you didn't have a praise, now you got a praise. Where you didn't have freedom, now you've got freedom. Where you didn't have a, a voice for God, now you've got a voice and a praise and a song to sing for God. How it used to be and how it is now. I wonder if anybody else in this house has got a testimony like that. I wonder if anybody in this house, if I were to give you this microphone, you could say, here's how I used to be, but here's how I am now. That's how I used to be. That's, that's the friends I used to run with, but I don't run with those friends now. That's what I used to be addicted to, but I'm not addicted to it now. That's how I used to get pleasure, but I don't get pleasure that way now because he hath reconciled me. He saved me from the awfulness of my former life. He came into my heart, and where I had been an enemy, he made me a friend. And now I'm a friend of Jesus. I used to be an enemy, but now I'm a friend. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Ephesians 2.13. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. But now, but now, he hath reconciled was in the other verse. Look at this verse. But now, in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were afar off, no relationship, no prayer, no worship, no service, no scripture, no word, no life in Christ, far off, far off. Wasn't even close. Not even close. But you who were afar off have been now made nigh. What does the Bible say? Draw nigh to God and He will draw nigh to you. And you who sometimes were alienated, off, far off, now you've been made nigh by the blood of Christ. Notice how it happens. By the blood of Christ. By the blood of Christ. By the blood of Christ. The Bible 
tells us in the Corinthian correspondence, the Apostle Paul talked about extortioners, and it talked about, about liars, and it talked about whoremongerers, and it talked about all kinds. Listen to that next verse. It said, of such were some of you. Of such were some of you. But ye were washed. Is there anybody here today that can say, I, I've been washed? I've been washed. I've been washed. That dirtiness that they sang about, I got washed. What was the detergent? The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses me from all sin. Brethren, I write these things unto you that ye sin not. But if any man does sin, he's as an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. You who were afar off have been made nigh by the blood of Christ. Aren't you glad that you're no longer a stranger and sitting off somewhere uh, not, not even recognized so far away from God? I used to hear preachers preach when I was a kid far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry and from the waters lifted me. Now safe am I. Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? You've been made nigh by the blood of Christ. Colossians 1 and 20. And through Him to reconcile all things to Himself having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. The cross connects what happens here on earth to things in heaven. The blood of Calvary's cross connects heaven and earth in a reconciliation. What that means is when you get saved here on this earth, something happens in heaven. That's why you're told to pray as it is in heaven, so be it upon the earth. Brother, that night in Hartsville, Alabama, June of 1966, I went to that altar. I'd been a lot of times. I said I had been a lot of times. I found out that if you don't go when everybody else goes, they'll come get you. So if you don't want to stay there half the night, I just go on. We had people that would come here and preach for us years, and Randy, every one of them would tell about the night I got saved. Steve Brock came by and said, I remember the night Jerry got saved. I remember the night he walked down that aisle. His brother Ronnie Brock came, and I remember I was preaching for his daddy the night he got saved. 
Gene Rice came and said, Oh, Gene cries when he preached. Oh, I remember the night Jerry got saved. Truth is, I was a statistic in every revival that Dad ever had. I was getting saved. You could count on me. But one night, but one night, It was one of those services where, as they used to say, the Holy Ghost took over. One of those services where people just started coming to the altar from all over the house. The Holy Ghost made the altar call. An agent had been to my house that week and told my daddy, he said, I want to buy the signing rights on Jerry to sign him to a contract to play baseball. Brother, you talking about a, a kid that was excited about his future? I thought that's going to be the most wonderful thing. People came to me in church. Come on down here and pray. Let's find the will of God. I said, I, I've already got the will of God. I know the will of God. My granny came to me and cried and wet my shirt with tears out of her eyes. Jerry, come on down here and pray, son. You need to pray. I said, Granny, I'm all right. I, I'm okay. Don't worry about me. I'm all right. And she went on down to the altar and prayed. And my dad was standing in the pulpit and he turned to me and he said these words, Tonight is your night. And something got a hold of me. Something got a hold of me. I got up and I said, okay, I'm going to go down here and pray a little bit with them. And they'll get wore out here in a little bit and go sit on the bench and say, bless him, Jesus, bless him, Jesus, bless him, Jesus. And I knelt down, and those guys got around me, and they were praying. And it took a long time, Lolita, but somewhere around 10, 10.30 that night, I laid down my ball bat, and I picked up the Bible, and I've been preaching ever since. Do you ever wonder? I try not to. Because that's not who I am. And it's not who I, what I do. Through Him, He reconciled all things to Himself, having made peace through the blood of His cross. Through Him. Now all these things are from God. 2 Corinthians 5.18 who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Hallelujah. What are you? I'm a reconciler. I'm a reconciler. Well, who, what are you trying to reconcile people with God? 
What's your anthem? Win the lost at any cost. Raymond Culpepper, the general, when he was general over Syria, said, Jerry, I want you to write an article for the Evangel, the official magazine of the church. And I said, Raymond, you probably don't need me to write church planning. Yeah, I do. I want you to do that. And I said, well, you may not. I'll send you the manuscript when I get it written, but I don't think you'll want that to go in the Evangel. He said, why? I said, because it sounds so unbelievable. Let me tell you how my dad started the church in Jasper, Tennessee. These are his words. He was driving his car on Highway 41 coming back from preaching a revival. And he went through a little town called Jasper, Tennessee. And these are his words. And the Holy Ghost took the steering wheel out of my hand. I told you you wouldn't want to put that in a magazine. The Holy Ghost took the steering wheel out of my hand and turned the car around and headed it back toward Jasper. He said, I finally got it pulled over to the side of the road and said, God, what are you, what are you saying? And he said, God told him, I want you to build a church in Jasper, Tennessee. The next day, he called the state overseer of Tennessee, U.D. Tidwell. Brother Ford probably remembers him. He's Ray Hughes' father-in-law. And my, my daddy said, the Lord spoke to me and told me to start a church in Jasper. He said, go out on Cumberland Mountain to Manchester, not far from Mont Eagle, and said, go up there. The state tent is up there at Manchester. Get the state tent and take it down to Jasper and start a church. My daddy puts, cut some old stakes, stuck them in the bumper of an old car, and went out there to Manchester and rolled up that tent and those stakes and put it in that makeshift truck he was probably making out of it. Drove that thing down off that mountain. He got down to Jasper and he pulled in at the Tennessean restaurant. It was owned by John Turner. John Turner was the chairman of the board of deacons at First Baptist in Jasper. When my dad walked in the door, John Turner walked over to him and he said, You're a preacher, aren't you? Dad said, Yes, I am. He said, You're a Pentecostal preacher, aren't you? And Dad said, yes, I am. He said, you've come here to start a church, haven't you? Dad said, yes, I have. He said, well, the Lord told me you were coming and said, I own a lot up on First Street, and that's where you're supposed to put the tent. You mean God does things like that? You mean God impresses people and leads people and guides people? I was a little old boy when there came a flood right in that area. And I can remember one of the earliest memories that I have. I couldn't have been more than three or four. And then my dad took me in his arms and waded out in that water to try to salvage what he could of a platform and songbooks. And John Turner said, that's all right. Said, I've got another lot right over. It's higher. And said, we'll put it up there. There's a picture I've got. I ought to bring it out here and put, show it to you. Of where in a tent, 30 by 30 tent, 
Dad had 250 people in Sunday morning worship service in a tent. On Saturday morning, we would go, he would take me with him. I, I, I was always willing to go and ready to go and asking to go to a little old place called W.V. Barker's Department Store. And they called it Barker's Corner. And there was a fire escape that went up beside it. And people would come and sit on that fire escape and listen to my daddy preach on the street. On the street? You've got to be kidding me. He put his old guitar case down there, and people would come and kneel at that guitar case and get saved. One day, the town drunk, Leonard Lane, came walking down that street, leaned up against a light pole, and listened to my daddy preach. Daddy walked over to him, and he said, Leonard Lane, God loves you, and God wants to save you, and God wants to make you a new creature in Christ. You can be freed from that addiction of alcohol. You can be a, a, a new person. He turned and went back home and fell across the bed weeping. His wife, Nell, came in and said, Leonard, what's the matter with you? He said, I, I was drinking and said, I, I met that preacher up there on the corner preaching. And said, you get these kids ready tomorrow, Nell. We're going out to that tent, and I'm going to get saved. You probably don't remember it, but there was a family of them. The Lane family came by here. Oh, it's been about 10 years ago, Don, something like that. And he was the grandson of Leonard Lane. And God saved him and made him a pillar in that church. You know, when you fill a church up with people who have changed, when you fill a church full of people that have been reconciled to God, come on, Olivia, and help me quit. I was pastoring in Montgomery, Alabama. Great church. I was walking down Dexter Avenue, and I said, God, why did you bring me to Montgomery, Alabama? Surely... Lord, they don't even know I'm here. And that's when the Lord first laid upon my heart to do television ministry. I went to Channel 32 and I said, I want to buy some airtime. He said, what do you want? I said, 10 o'clock on Sunday night. He said, that's not available. That's network time. I said, will you call me and let me know when it comes available? Because that's the time God told me. On Tuesday of the next week, the station manager called me and he said, I can't explain this, but said that time hadn't been available in years, but it's available right now if you want it. And I said, I'll take it. $750 a week for airtime. And I didn't even have a broadcast, didn't have a camera. I went to Color Bar Productions and I said to, to Mr. Black, I said, I want you to come and tape a, a program for me. He said, a remote? And I said, yeah, at my church. And for the first six or eight months, the place was empty except for me and standing in the pulpit and preaching. And God started blessing that church, and it started growing 
Before long, we were over 500 at 520, 560. The pastor at First United Methodist in Montgomery's son was Greg Zachary. Greg Zachary came in one Sunday night after partying all night, pulled on the television, it came on, and the first thing he saw was my finger pointed at him saying, God loves you, and God cares about you, and God wants to save you. He called me up. He said, you got to meet me at the church. And I said, well, I'll be in in the morning. He said, no, not, not in the morning, right now. Right now, you got to meet me. I went over and met with him, and he gloriously was saved. The last night I was at Montgomery before I went to Ohio, I baptized Greg Zachary and took him in the church of God. You know what he's doing now? He's pastoring a church. Can you believe that? Had a couple in my church that they sang at a, a nightclub over on the Atlanta Highway there in Montgomery. There was a place over at the Holiday Inn, at a lounge over there, Cowboys. And on Sunday morning, there was a, a guy that walked in church. I didn't know him. But when I gave the altar call, he walked down and gave his heart to the Lord, he said. I said, you come back tonight. He said, I'll be back. He said, I'll bring my wife with me tonight. He brought his wife back with him that night. His name was Houston. And he brought that sweet girl with him, and he, she came to the altar and got saved. Never will forget what he said when he got up out of the altar. He said, well, what am I going to do, Pastor? I said, what do you mean? He said, I, I've signed a contract to sing next Saturday night at that lounge. I said, oh, you fill your contract. He said, what? I said, you go over there and fill your contract. I said, just change the title of your song, and they'll take care of your contract. <laughs> the next Saturday night, he got up on stage. He took his guitar, and he started singing, Oh, how I love Jesus. They thought it was a new gig that he'd come up with making fun of Christians. So they all had a big laugh, you know. But he didn't quit. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Because he first loved me. Well, needless to say, it didn't take him long, Charles, to get him out of there. But while he was singing that his wife was going around handing tracts, gospel tracts to people there at the lounge. And when Houston went out the door, four couples followed him. And in the parking lot at Cowboys Lounge, Houston led them to the Lord and brought them to church the next day with him. And I baptized them and took them in the church of God. The thing that really gnaws at my heart. I don't want to be a preacher who tells about how it used to be. And I don't want to be one who tells you about revivals and things. Right now is when we need to be at our best. Right now is when we need to be at our best. 
Right now is when we need to be reconcilers. We need to be getting people saved right now. We need to be bringing people to Christ so that they can know Him in the free pardon of sin. Stand with me, please. Thank you, Lord Jesus, today for the grace of God, power of the Holy Spirit that changes people's lives. And I thank you for a burden that you've laid upon somebody's heart today to share the gospel with someone they love and they care about. And while I've been preaching this message, you've spoke to their heart and said, you need to talk to Bill, you need to talk to Wanda, you need to talk to Gary, you need to talk to Wayne. God, I thank you for laying that burden and seed, putting that seed there. And I ask you to bless those people as they do exactly that and lead some soul to the Lord Jesus. God, when we come in next Sunday morning, Wednesday night and Sunday morning, may there be people that have testimonies about people getting saved this week. Lord, we don't want to just occupy this space. And we won't, don't want people to just look and say, what a pretty building. We don't want people, oh Lord, to just see nice cars sitting in the parking lot. They, that don't matter to us, God. What really matters is that people are being saved and that people are being, their lives changed. And that's our prayer today.